It is Monday, November 20th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kelly. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, a special U.S. compact has allowed thousands of Marshall Islanders to freely migrate to Arkansas. It nearly expired earlier this year. You know, when it was signed, a lot of relief. A lot of relief, and uh, some people have come into the office saying, you know, even though we don't agree with some of the terms in there, we're still happy it went through. Plus, this week's archives from the Prior Center help us get Turkey Week started. It's their final flight of freedom. They're out of the coop and they just kind of glide down. Some of them get caught, some of them don't. Those that don't get caught, it's home on the range for the next few years. And the Hunger Games are back on movie screens. Our critic Courtney Lanning says the franchise remains entertaining. Those two are absolute powerhouses in this movie. They steal every scene they are in. They are magnificent. First, the news from NPR. It's time for the annual KUAF and Friends Holiday Giveaway, your chance to win a gift from one of many generous KUAF underwriters, including Trendsetter Barbershop and Salon, The Commons Bar and Cafe at Theater Squared, Therapods Float Spa, and more. Winners announced December 8th during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Details and registration at KUAF.com. Arkansas PBS is premiering a new kids series, Mystery League, with new episodes airing every Sunday. The 20-episode live-action series follows three fifth-grade detectives as they solve the never-ending mysteries of the fictional small Arkansas town of Mulberry Springs. More at myarpbs.org slash mysteryleague. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, November 20th, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF in Fayetteville. Ahead today, a prequel to The Hunger Games came out this weekend, and we hear from film critic Courtney Lanning about that latest installment in the franchise. First today, tens of thousands of citizens from the Republic of the Marshall Islands have made the U.S. their home, many of those in northwest Arkansas. A special compact allows Marshallese people to migrate here legally, but that compact was set to expire in September. Congress extended that deadline, allowing negotiations to be finalized in mid-October. But as Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Frelick reports, Marshallese leaders in Arkansas say the renewed compact fails to fully compensate the remote island nation for the devastation of nuclear testing that was done decades ago. U.S. and Republic of Marshall Islands officials met in Honolulu October 16th to renew a third compact of free association, COFA for short. The agreement allows the United States to maintain a strategic military base on the Marshall Islands. In exchange, the U.S. provides economic assistance to the RMI and allows islanders to freely migrate to the U.S. After the first compact was signed in 1986, Marshallese natives began to migrate to northwest Arkansas to work in the poultry industry, enroll their children in public school, and obtain health care. Today, more than 12,000 are settled here, says Melissa Leilan. She's chief executive officer for Arkansas Coalition of Marshallese, headquartered in Springdale. She participated in Compact Three negotiations, both in person and virtually. We feel that Arkansas has the largest Marshallese population outside of the country. So rightfully so, we felt that we should have been part of these negotiations. The Biden administration views the RMI Compact as a cornerstone agreement to counter foreign aggression towards the U.S. and the Pacific. That relationship formed in 1946 when the U.S. detonated 67 atomic and thermonuclear weapons tests on the northern Marshalls 
over a decade. The U.S. claims the RMI has long been fully compensated for testing damages. This new third compact would deliver $2.3 billion in grant assistance and trust fund contributions, but no additional nuclear damages compensation. After months of negotiation, Leilan says compact talks broke down. Which, of course, created a lot of frantic, a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. What's going to happen next? She says an estimated 34,000 freely associated Marshallese currently reside in the U.S., mostly in Hawaii, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. This outmigration triggered by high unemployment, lack of health care, and the climate crisis on the Republic of the Marshall Islands. Actually, Marshallese is the sixth largest Pacific Islander ethnic group living in the United States. And when the fate of freely associated Marshallese migrants was imperiled by stalled compact talks, Leilan took action. Not just Arkansas Coalition of Marshallese, but we also had sister units from 16 other states that we took in and supported by a national organization, NAUPO, to do a lot of uh, hill visits and things like that. Marshallese advocates met on Capitol Hill with key U.S. State Department officials and federal lawmakers. A sticking point was including additional compensation for the Cold War nuclear weapons testing in the new agreement. Previously, the U.S. government provided more than $600 million for nuclear test damages, environmental cleanup, restoration resettlement, and health and medical programs. The RMI, however, claims more than $3 billion in uncompensated damages. So, under COFA-3, the RMI sought but failed to obtain additional nuclear compensation. The new 20-year, $2.3 billion COFA-3 agreement was signed in mid-October. It includes a $700 million trust fund, a portion of which could be spent on nuclear damages. A lot of our community members were not happy uh, with that because a lot of our people really thought that they should be Uh, an item explicitly listed as nuclear damages support. Michelle Pedros, policy director and communications specialist with Arkansas Coalition of Marshallese. She says stalled compact negotiations especially worried Ozark Marshallese migrants. You know, when it was signed, a lot of relief. A lot of relief, and uh, some people have come into the office saying, you know, even though we don't agree with some of the terms in there, we're still happy it went through. Benedict Kabua Madison is executive director of the nonprofit Marshallese Educational Initiative based in Springdale. He travels extensively, raising awareness about his homeland's nuclear legacy, including delivering a recent speech to the United Nations General Assembly. After the U.S. nuclear testing program ended in 1958, the following year in 1959, they began testing these ICBMs or these intercontinental ballistic missiles. And so the Marshall Islands um, is important strategically given its location. Um, It's uh, in the central North Pacific uh, between the United States and, of course, North Korea, Russia, China, and these other countries that the U.S. views as a threat. Madison says he wants all nuclear weapons of mass destruction destroyed and his indigenous land base restored. You know, although those nuclear weapons testing ended in 58, we're still experiencing health issues. We're still experiencing displacement. 
uh, were still experiencing cultural consequences, as in people leaving their homelands, you know, forcefully removed from their homelands, so that the U.S. could use these islands many decades ago for uh, nuclear development. The new compact, Madison says, fails to address existing damage wrought by a decade of atomic and thermonuclear atmospheric weapons tests, including a leaking U.S. nuclear waste dump. You know, although we may have signed and accepted this $2.3 billion that will be provided to the Marshall Islands under the new agreement, that money is not going to do anything to get rid of the nuclear waste. It is not going to reverse the environmental impact that nuclear weapons testing has and continues to have on the environment. And it's certainly not going to return people to their ancestral homelands, their rightful homelands that have been theirs for centuries because of radiation, destruction. Embedded in this new U.S. RMI Compact of Free Association is the Compact Impact Fairness Act that will restore critical entitlements erased in 1996 under federal welfare reform to Marshallese migrants moving to the U.S., many for medical care. I mean, you're talking about the loss of loved ones to cancer and other nuclear-related illnesses. You're talking about elders who have not seen their homelands in a very long time. And they're at this point where they're dying on lands that don't belong to to their people. And then, of course, you're also talking about these intergenerational health issues that doesn't just, you know, impact the older generation. It also impacts generations down the road, generations that are not even born yet. You know, that is the legacy of nuclear weapons. U.S. Congressional and RMI Parliament approval will be needed before COVID-3 is allowed to take full effect. The Marshall Islands were named in 1788 by British Naval Captain John William Marshall, who sailed through the area with convicts bound for New South Wales. But islanders, Benedict Kabua Madison says, historically referred to their archipelago as Island Canad, our atolls. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Still to come on today's Ozarks at Large, we get into the spirit of Thanksgiving with turkeys in Yellville. The people of Yellville seem determined to make this a yearly event, and everyone else has given up trying to stop them. Our Prior Center profile this week allows us to spend a few minutes with the infamous turkey drop that used to take place every fall in Marion County. Randy Dixon has archives for us from the Prior Center just ahead. Unemployment in Arkansas went up slightly in October. The state unemployment rate rose two-tenths of a percentage. This is similar to the joblessness rate in the United States, which went up one-tenth of a percentage point in October. The labor force in Arkansas went up by 803 jobs. According to the Arkansas Division of Workforce Services, this is higher than usual. Jobs increased in the sectors of transportation, government, construction, education, 
and health. Last Friday, the Boys and Girls Club of Benton County unveiled a new rock climbing wall in their gymnasium. The wall was made possible by the One Climb Foundation. Professional rock climber Kevin Jorgensen founded the organization to introduce 100,000 children to rock climbing. Jorgensen was in Bella Vista last week to celebrate the opening of the new wall and says he's dedicated to One Climb's mission because rock climbing was such a positive influence on his own young life. What I like to say is like climbing is a great mirror for your life. Like whatever it is you need, climbing gives you the opportunity to find it, if that makes sense. So if it's confidence you need to build, climbing gives you the opportunity to build it. If it's anxiety you need to overcome, climbing gives you an opportunity to overcome it. Like whatever's going on in your life, climbing is this amazing mirror because it's just you and the wall. You and gravity. There's no ball. There's no scoreboard. There's no opponent. There's no team. It's a very personal thing where success is self-defined. And it's really unique in that way. So that's what's beautiful about it. It's just like the simple act of getting kids on the walk is transformative. Like let alone all the stuff you can do after with specific programs and curriculum and all this stuff. And it's like that's all icing on the cake. Simply getting kids on the wall is transformative in its own way. Local nonprofit Pedal It Forward was also at the event and donated more than a dozen mountain bikes to the Boys and Girls Club for use on nearby trails. Club CEO Matt Talaferio says the new climbing wall and bikes present an opportunity for recreation that kids in a rural area like Benton County might have never had the chance to experience. If you can imagine, um, <laughs> these kids are under a lot of pressure these days. I mean, um, everything from school to social media to what have you. Um, and mental health is a, is a big issue with, our, with kids right now. And kids, their self-esteem has, has, you know, ever since COVID has really begun to go down. When a kid gets on a climbing wall and then they make it to the top, their confidence goes through the roof. There, you can see the smile on their face and they begin to believe in themselves again. And not only it improves their confidence, but it introduces them to a new skill. I mean, they're like, then they begin to think, well, now what else is possible? What else can I do? And, and so this is just one, one way, one thing that we can do to increase their confidence, to introduce them to a new, whole new sport, a whole new skill, and something that they'll be able to keep with them forever. You can visit our website for more information about the One Climb Foundation, Pedal It Forward, and the Boys and Girls Club. A revised momentary is open to the public. The Sister Museum of Crystal Bridges opened the exhibit Enduring Amazon, Life and Afterlife in the Amazon Rainforest this weekend. Joe Agar, the director of the momentary, says the opening coincides with a remodel of the momentary. To be able to create warmer spaces to help people feel more welcome. If you've been here before, you noticed significant changes when you came in in the lobby, in the Onyx um, uh, lobby over the atrium where there is a Beeple digital um, installation and the store here that Elizabeth is running is expanded and is beautiful and you'll see other changes. She says the remodel doesn't change the mission of the momentary to be a place for music, art, and food of our time. The new exhibit includes multimedia, immersive displays that highlight the biological diversity of the Amazon forest, but also the destruction taking place throughout the rainforest. Joe Thompson, curator at large for the momentary, says the new exhibit explores a wide range of issues facing the Amazon. I'm left with the feeling going through this show anyway that there's no doubt the Amazon's going to be around in some form, in some shape. There might be doubt about what, what our relationship is 
to it or its relationship to us. The exhibit will remain at the Momentary through mid-April. On tomorrow's Ozarks at Large, we'll hear from some of the artists whose work is included in Enduring Amazon. And now it's time to go to our live remote man on the scene at the Pinedale Shopping Mall for the big WKRP turkey giveaway. So take it away, Les Nessman. This is Les Nessman, your man on the scene here at the Pinedale Shopping Center where the excitement is mounting. Oh yes, I can see it now. It's a, it's a helicopter. The copter seems to be circling the parking area now. I guess it's looking for a place to land. No, something just came out of the back of the helicopter. It's a, a dark object. Uh, perhaps a skydiver plumbing to, to the earth from only 2,000 feet into the air. <laughs> It's almost Thanksgiving, Randy. It sure is, and that's one of my favorite uh, clips from one of my favorite episodes of one of my favorite comedies. WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah, late late 70s, early 80s, about a radio station, and that was a a little um, radio promotion gone terribly wrong. Yes, yes. Uh, That's from the first season, and I do remember watching that on television the night it aired, and it was the talk of uh, Mountain Home High School the next day. Well, I'll bet it was because yeah. it's so much related to what we're going to talk about today, uh, which is the Yer- Yellville mm-hmm. Turkey Trot Festival. Yes. Also known for the Turkey Drop. Yes. And I grew up, oh, 25 minutes from Yellville. You'd take Highway 78, 178 from Lakeview into Flippin' and then you'd hit, I think, 62 to go to Yellville. So you used to go? I went once. So, all right, well, let's back okay. up and explain right. to everybody yes. what, what the turkey drop is. They throw live turkeys. At least they used to, yes. Yes, out of a plane yeah. at about 500 feet. Yeah. And they sail, fly-ish, sometimes plummet yes. to the ground. Yes. And there they are chased yes. by people, festival goers, yes. mostly children. Yes. To get their turkey. Now, this started back in 1946, so times were much different. Yes. Um, But it started, all right, get this. It started where they would just, just toss the turkey off the roof of the courthouse. Right. And that uh, went on until, uh, oh, after only about two years, uh, a pilot decided, wouldn't it be better to throw them out of a moving plane? Mm-hmm. And so that's what they did. Now, you, you know, from time to time, I'll play these uh, Arkansas... Uh, Travelogues? Yeah, from yeah. the from the highway department. Mm-hmm. And we've listened to a lot of them from the 50s. Well, here's one from 1968, and do the math, it was the 22nd uh Yellville festival so uh let's listen to this clip from the travelogue what's this it's turkeys in the sky as part of Yellville's 22nd annual wild turkey calling contest flying down is easy for the big birds their troubles only start when they get caught entertainment includes the selection 1968 turkey trot Festival. That's about the time um, we moved to Lakeview. So mm-hmm. I don't think we hit that one, but it was one of the ones soon. So after you that. did see them chunked out of the plane. Yes, I did. And how did that go? 
I mean, I was a sensitive kid. I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed weird. Yeah. And I felt sorry for the turkeys. I felt, I really did feel sorry for the birds. Well. And then probably went home and had turkeys. So, you know, kind of a hypocrite. Well, but there's. Yes. A big difference. Yes. Um, could you imagine if they threw frozen t- turkeys out of the plane? <laughs> That'd be a whole nother story. Yes. But anyway, let's fast forward um, mm-hmm. 15 years. And, uh, you know, you heard from that travelogue, it was just... Accepted. Yeah. Yeah. It's no big deal. Um, Starting to have some questions about it by about 83. So here is a KATV report from Philip Bruce about the 83 festival. The Yellville Town Square was literally packed with residents today from across the county, waiting and watching for a glimpse of the plane that would carry the first load of turkeys to be dropped. Let's just keep our eyes peeled and see what's going to happen. The plane made several low passes over the square, and then finally, the first turkey was airborne. The bird hesitated for a moment, then spread its wings and sailed to freedom several blocks from the waiting crowd. It was never caught. The second bird wasn't so lucky, though. It tried to avoid the square, but wound up sailing into the hands of a farmer on the outskirts of town. But the third bird was right on target. It dropped from the plane and made a swan dive straight for a local hardware store. It missed, but Julie Johnson didn't. The 14-year-old eighth grader caught the turkey and became an instant celebrity in her own hometown. I thought I wouldn't catch one at all. And there's so many kids here. I can't believe it, it ran straight in front of me. <laughs> I've got chickens that never a turkey. <laughs> It still wasn't clear today if the pilot had or had not checked with the Federal Aviation Administration before he made the drop. I know nothing about that. I have nothing to do with that. If you have any question like that, you'll have to go to the Chamber of Commerce. But as far as I know, no. This year's turkey drop, unlike many others in the past, did not draw much opposition from animal lovers or government officials. The people of Yellville seem determined to make this a yearly event, and everyone else has given up trying to stop them. Philip Bruce, New Scene 7, Yellville. And uh, KETV went back up there uh, in 85. And so the mid-80s, there still wasn't a whole lot of opposition. And uh, KETV got some interviews with some of the residents. And as you can tell from what's coming up, they they didn't feel very sorry for, you know, the turkeys. Do you think it's cruel to these animals or what? Oh, no, no, it's not cruel. See, they have a sporting chance that they can, when we throw them out of the airplane, they have the option of just flying off and never being seen again, or they can swoop down here on the square and, uh, you know, whip 5,000 people and walk off. And so we feel like they have, uh, you know, sporting chance. It's their final flight of freedom. They're out of the coop and they just kind of glide down. Some of them get caught and some of them don't. Those that don't get caught, it's home on the range for the next few years. I'm gonna push back on this idea that they have a sporting chance. Yeah, there was no I, sporting no, chance. No, that that might sound good, but that wasn't the way it was going down. Yeah. No. Can you imagine you're thrown out of a plane and then you get in the middle of a crowd that's yeah. chasing you, wanting to wring your neck? No, I can't. Yeah. Well, by the nineties there were Yes. There was a lot of questioning going on. They were getting a lot of negative press. I think what started it all is the National Enquirer. <laughs> did a huge article and described it as barbaric and grotesque and heinous. There, there were all kinds of, uh, and they had photographs. And there were people in 
that area in Baxter and Marion County who wouldn't necessarily say it out loud, but they wanted it to end too. They thought it made it made us look like morons or buffoons or something. Yeah. I mean, but but it wasn't popular necessarily to say that out loud. But there were a lot of people who were not necessarily fans of PETA, but like yeah. Well, let's, PETA let's, came in yeah. and got everybody. Um, I guess you could say riled up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the FAA got involved. <laughs> yes. Uh, the police got involved. You know, you had a yeah. single engine plane buzzing uh, right? a crowded right? town square. Yeah. Throwing objects, hurling them. 30 pound objects yeah. out. Yeah. 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 You put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it, it stopped for a while. But then. Well, yeah. In 2000. Um, 15, 16, and 17, there were these rogue pilots that secretly went up and did it, but um, it caused a huge ruckus. Yes. And it was not an officially, you know, festival-sanctioned right. uh, action right. taken by these pilots. But it was a big hit, and uh, but since then, the— uh, it was the Chamber of Commerce that sponsored it, Yellville. Mm-hmm. And then during COVID, they kind of closed down. And it's been picked up now by uh, the Mid-Marion County Rotary Club. And I actually got a hold of one of the members. Um, Alicia Owen is a realtor there. And um, I talked to her about the changes that have been made and kind of how it went this year. We took it with the understanding in the community that there would be no live turkeys dropped from airplanes. So mm-hmm. that has, uh, and we did uh, speak with PETA about that and let them know that that's how it would be going forward. And um, so we tried to think of a way to revive the turkey drop. So last year we actually um were able to get a drone and drop plush turkeys, and we did that again this year, and that's been a real hit with everybody. And by the way, it takes place the second weekend of October, so it's already happened. Right. But um, it went really well. I don't know, you know, how the plushies replacing a a live (laughs) turkey, but she said it went over really well. Um, And, you know, PETA uh, got involved when when it was hugely controversial, but I got a hold of PETA to see if they're still on the radar up in Yellville and that sort of thing. And I talked to Kristen Rickman, and she's actually been before, mm-hmm. and she said, you know, she had a great time. And well, here's what she had to say about her visit to the festival. The turkey drop aspect of the event is something from a bygone time. I don't think anyone really wanted that anymore, and um, I think that it's great that um, a new agency took over and agreed to to host the festival again, just without the turkey drop. And I think that that's that can be a wildly successful event for the town of Yellville and Marion County moving forward. So, see, things change. Yeah. 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 Now, back in 85, mm-hmm. uh, when KATV was there, um, it was still considered a kind of a fluff feature story. Right. There was no 
big controversy going on. I don't think uh, PETA had even heard about what was going on, and it hadn't gotten a bunch of national attention. But uh, our reporter, Vicki Wing, actually did a little poem. You've seen birds fly and shuttles try, but turkeys, why? It seems a little strange, you say, to drop a bird from on high just to see if it can fly. But in Yellville, it's tradition here. The townspeople gather at the courthouse square as they have for 40 years. And with eyes turned toward the sky, they wait for that infamous plane to pass by. When that turkey drops, chaos strikes and kids run wild. The search is on for the bird beguiled. To catch a turkey is all kids dream. It fills them with pride and self-esteem. I'm proud of him. Ain't very big, but it's turkey. For those opposed, it might help to know the birds use their instincts when set free and all sail down safely. This is Vicki Wing for News Scene Update. Okay, we've talked about throwing turkeys. Let's talk about prepping them. turkeys. Yeah. All right, so this is the day to really start, Monday, um, because you've got to thaw the thing. Mm-hmm. And that usually takes a couple of days in the fridge. And then um, a lot of people like to brine their turkeys. Yeah. To Well, it's for the uh, – keeps them moist – and uh, this a lot better flavor, a lot of people think. And it's really just soaking the bird for a day or so in some salty water. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are recipes online that you can give it all different kinds of flares and right. touches and that sort of thing. But my old friend Donnie Furneaux, uh, who's an executive chef, and uh, he lives in Little Rock, and I talked to him about – proper brining but what brining means is just soaking it basically soak it in water uh and, you know and with turkey you're going to want to do it for about two days a whole turkey um one to two days but brining what it's going to do it's giving your your meat moisture and so it's kind of like injecting it but when you let it sit in that solution it's going to season the meat all the way through so it's, it's going to absorb those sugars and the salt and some of the bay leaf and flavors and you're going to get a much juicier turkey so it's, it's kind of a little pro tip there. Um, if you ever make turkey, thaw it out and just bake it, like, why is it always dry? Try brining it. And it's great before you throw it in the smoker, the oven, even frying it. it. It works. It's very successful. So you can do it with just a breast. Right? You can do it with just a breast, too, yeah. Oh, man, um, you've had my smoked turkeys before. You oh, that? yeah. And so that was just 100% breast meat, boneless. It had both lobes. But my key to success was I would always do a, a brine with brown sugar, salt, water, and uh, lemons, and bay leaf. But it, it wasn't overly powering. And then you, you, you can put some Cajun seasoning in there, but you want to be careful because you don't really want to change the color of the bird. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Well, and then he goes on to talk about, you know, if you've been soaking this bird, you want your skin to not be all soggy right so he has some tips on how you can crisp up that skin so once you're brining that turkey you're going to want to you know do that about three days out brine it for two days but a very important part before roasting it you want to sit on a sit on a cooling rack 
or just, you know, unwrapped, uncovered, but take it out of the brine and let it just sit in your refrigerator for about a day so that skin gets uh, real nice and, and, and dry. You know, you don't want a wet turkey to put in the oven. You really want that skin really nice and crispy. So that's the secret to a good crispy skin, too. And right before you put it in the oven, put a little bit of oil on there and some salt and pepper. And I'm getting hungry talking about it. (laughs) Can't wait for Thursday. So you're supposed to have got started today. I would think, yeah. I mean, If you want to go through the thawing process and uh, you can brine it while it's thawing. Okay. So, you know, maybe – so your second day of thawing, you you might want to just go ahead and stick it in water, and then you can let it sit out. But if you're not having Thanksgiving meal till Friday, you're not behind. You can start tomorrow. That's correct. Okay. Well, and you might be able to anyway. It just okay. depends on – Well, you can start whatever you, know. you want, I suppose. It's well, just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. Um, last year you had some turkey trivia for us. Do you remember that? Yes. I have a little more. Okay. Um, First of all, Arkansas uh, produces the third highest number of turkeys in the country, Mm -hmm. which the number is 27 million birds. From Arkansas. Come out of here a year, yes. Wow. Yeah. 27 million? Uh Uh-huh. Wow, Okay. Yeah, I saw birds. Yeah. Um, and speaking of birds being thrown out of planes, <laughs> wild turkeys can fly. Yes, they can. Not well, not like an eagle Enough. or a hawk. More than you but and I. Yes. Yes. They can glide, and they actually sleep in trees. They roost in trees. I did know that as well, yeah. Yeah, it's safer up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... The do you know what a snood is? A snood? Yes. It sounds like something Al Cap would have had in Little Lavender. Now, what is a snood? Well, it does sound like that, uh-huh. doesn't it? It's the little red uh, appendage, I guess you'd call it, that comes off uh-huh. and goes over their beak. Yeah. Not the waddle that's okay. under their chin. It right. grows over their beak, and that's, that's the snood. Yeah, and that's males, and okay. they're actually. Um, the longer the snood, Look the more attractive they are to okay. the female turkeys. Okay. Go figure. I leaving that one it. right there. Right. Okay. <laughs> and then the last thing. Yes. Another bodily function. Oh, great. Um, you can tell, and I used this the last time if you remember, mm-hmm. you can tell a male from a female by the shape of their poop. Right. Right. A, a male's is shaped like a J, mm-hmm. and a female's is kind of like a corkscrew. Uh, circular. Yeah. yeah. Well, fantastic. So I hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> <laughs> Randy Dixon is with the Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. I could add so much more. Yeah, I'm sure you could. Um, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And, we're and then we'll do something for Christmas. We'll do something mm-hmm. for New Year's. But we're also going to have a Pryor Center Presents live. Yes. Yes. And that'll be partially Christmas theme. Oh, fantastic. Yes. All right. And that is? And we'll we'll get the date on that uh, next week. Okay. Very good. All the details. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly.
This is Ozarks at Large. It is time to talk movies. It's time to talk movies with Courtney Lanning. Courtney, welcome back to Ozarks at Large. You're on Monday this week. Kyle, thanks for having me. And it's a little strange, but uh, as Dr. Strange's enemy told him in the first movie, who am I to judge? Your review was still posted uh, to KUAF.com and OzarksAtLarge.com on Friday. Our scheduling meant that our conversation had to take to place today, but I don't think you mind because you like this movie, which is The Hunger Games, colon, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I think this is the fifth Hunger Games movie. Is that right? Yes, it's the fifth. Did you like it? Um, you know what, Kyle? I loved this movie. I, I'm going to be in a lonely camp here. Uh, I think this is the best Hunger Games movie out of the five. This is based on a prequel, right? Right. A uh, prequel that Suzanne Collins wrote back in 2020. Um, now we have a movie for it, and it takes place 64 years before Katniss Everdeen set foot in the arena. This, uh, this story follows President Snow, who you'll remember was played by Heather Sutherland. Is that right? In the, yeah. the other, four, other four movies. Um, now he is uh, a younger 18-year-old coming into the games for the first time, and he has his own uh, combatant to deal with as he serves as a mentor to a new girl from District 12 uh, named Lucy Gray, played by Rachel Zegler, who many people will probably remember from the new West Side Story that came out recently. Yes, very much so. I loved her in that. This also has Viola Davis. It does. And those two are absolute powerhouses in this movie. They steal every scene they are in. They are magnificent. Uh, and if you don't watch this movie for any other reason, then you should go see it to hear Rachel Zegler sing because she has amazing pipes and tune and pitch and everything. She was perfect. All right. To review Hunger Games, the, the original four movies based on that original trilogy, it's a dystopian uh, sort of game show where young people literally fight to the death with weapons they can get out of the cornucopia, and then, you know, revolution happens. This sort of lays the groundwork for what does happen in those previous movies? Yeah, so the basic premise is, like I said, this is 64 years before the first Hunger Games movie that we saw with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, we have a young, uh, not President Snow, uh, young Mr. Snow, who is basically, we're going to follow his story uh, as he is a student um, and the Hunger Games are not very popular at this point. Of course, they aren't the exact same games that we come to see in the later movies either. They're a lot rougher. There's just a single arena. Um, there's not a lot of changing environments. The technology is different. They don't treat the tributes as celebrities. They don't mm. star them in any kind of shows or interviews. And President Snow is going to really be the driving force for a lot of these changes, you know, treating the tributes as spectacles getting the whole capital to tune in because at the time that this movie takes place during the 10th hunger games people aren't really watching them they don't really seem to care uh and they're just kind of tuning out and there's there's some sort of thought that the hunger games might actually be fading away and they might be canceled soon so viola davis comes in and tasks a bunch of students with ideas to make the hunger games better and she comes up with the idea to pair up all the tributes with these students that'll serve as the first mentors, kind of like Hamish served as a mentor for uh, Katniss in the other movies. And 
you know, it's, again, I, I liked it better than the, the other four movies. The, the other movies kind of, you know, there there's an inherent story about class and who the haves and the have-nots. Is that part of this one as well? It is. Um, but again, since we are seeing Snow at such a young age, you know, in this story, he's financially struggling. Mm -hmm. You know, his family's about to be evicted from their home. Um, he's hoping to win some sort of scholarship prize so he can continue on to university. He desperately needs it. Otherwise, he's not going to be able to afford an education. And, you know, he's kind of scrappy dude who puts on airs that he does belong with the rich and wealthy when he really doesn't. Uh, his wallet is empty. Uh, he oftentimes goes without food. And he, he hides all this so that he can still fit in and keep the image of being rich when he's clearly not. So, yeah, it's just instead of him being the president in the mansion, like we see in the other four movies, now he's scrappy, young, starving guy. What about, you know, one thing I remember about the first four movies, the dress and the style, right? Because it was futuristic and there was sort of this whole uh, atmosphere. 64 years earlier, that, that's still the case? Not so much. Uh, like I said, they don't treat the tributes as mm -hmm. celebrities or any means. They literally dump them into a zoo. They all sit in a cage before the Hunger Games begin. And for a day or two, people at the Capitol are allowed to kind of stand outside the cage and gawk at them. They don't really feed them. They barely clothe them. They're literally just meat for the grinder. And the whole point of Snow is to come in and sort of create the image that you are describing for the later movies with dresses and the image and the, the, the big hair. time interviews, yeah. the hair, get people really invested in the characters. Later this week, you and I will talk about Disney's new animated feature, Wish, which is supposed to be their big 100th anniversary for Walt Disney Animation Studios and their next big animated feature. And we'll see how it goes. We'll talk about it and tell you how it is. Courtney Lanning's review at OzarksAtLarge.com and KUAF.com. Courtney, as always, thank you. Kyle, thanks for having me. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, U.S. Senator John Bozeman and other senators are working across the aisle to combat the global food security crisis. Agriculture is very bipartisan. It's about regions of the country and different crops, but it's, it's Republicans and Democrats working together to take care of making sure that we continue to have this great, cheap, healthy food supply. A conversation with the senior U.S. Senator tomorrow on Ozarks at Large. The Arkansas soccer season is over. The Razorbacks lost to Pittsburgh 4-3 in the second round of the NCAA tournament in Fayetteville Friday night. Meanwhile, the John Brown University women's soccer team is advancing to the NAIA round of 16 after Saturday's 1-0 tournament win over Olivet Nazarene. The Golden Eagles are scheduled to face Aquinas a week from today in Foley, Alabama. The Arkansas men's cross-country team is claiming another top-10 NCAA finish. 
They finished fourth in Saturday's NCAA championships. Oklahoma State won the national title. The Razorback women placed ninth in Saturday's championship race. That was in Virginia. The 10th-ranked Razorback volleyball team remains in the hunt for the SEC title after yesterday's five-set win over number 20 Florida in Barnhill Arena. Arkansas is now 14-2 in SEC play. 15-1 Kentucky is in first place. Kentucky and Arkansas will play Wednesday night at 7 in Fayetteville. And mixed results this weekend for Razorback basketball teams. The women defeated Arkansas State in Jonesboro Friday night, while the 14th-ranked men were upset by UNC Greensboro in Bud Walton Arena Friday night. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas Songs. Down the Rock Island line, she's a mighty good road. Rock Island line, it's a road to ride. Rock Island line, it's a mighty good road. Well, if you ride, you got to ride it like you find it. Get your ticket, that's the station for the Rock Island line. This is the story of the Rock Island line. Recorded origins of the song Rock Island Line began in Arkansas, but the song has since traveled far around the world, going farther than the mighty good line ever did. In fall 1934, folklorist John Lomax and singer Huddy Ledbetter first recorded prisoners singing the Rock Island Line while working for the Library of Congress. They collected two different versions of the song at two different southeast Arkansas prisons that fall. First, in September at Tucker Prison Farm in Jefferson County, and in October at Cummins Farm in neighboring Lincoln County. The song took off from there like a runaway train. Ironically, it was Arkansas' Johnny Cash who took the song from its Arkansas origins to its greatest heights in America. He first recorded it while still on the Sun Records label of Memphis, adding a couple of verses. The song stayed on Cash's concert set list for decades. Look out, do ain't it? Y'all come. When you safely on the other side, drive a shout back on down the line to the man, because he don't care what he say now, going home. Going down the Rock Island line. So I fooled you, I fooled you, I got big iron, I got big iron, I got all, all big iron. Said, tell you where I'm going, boy. Meanwhile, in Europe, Scotsman singer Lonnie Donegan's version of Lead Belly's version of Rock Island Line started a whole folk music jug band movement that influenced Jimmy Page, Pete Townsend, Eric Clapton, Keith Richards, and many other heavy hitters. Donegan is considered to be the most influential British pop star prior to the Beatles. Some then say, without the Rock Island Line, there would be no Beatles, no Rolling Stones, no Led Zeppelin. Since the song was first recorded by Arkansas prisoners in Jefferson and Lincoln counties in the 1930s, Rock Island Line has been recorded or performed by a wide variety of artists, including Little Richard with Fishbone, heard here, Bobby Darin, Odetta, Stan Freeberg, Harry Belafonte, and incredibly, each and every individual Beatle. In late 2016, Billy Bragg and Joe Henry released Shine a Light, 
an album of railroad songs recorded at railroad stations and brought Rock Island Line back to its call-and-response musical origins and its geographic origins by restoring verses mentioning Memphis and Little Rock. In August 2014, Bragg had played a surprise show at Little Rock's legendary Whitewater Tavern while in the area and, in fact, got the idea for the album while at Little Rock's Union Station. Beyond Johnny Cash, Rock Island Line has been recorded by other Arkansas-connected performers such as Grandpa Jones, The Weavers, and Dan Zanes and Friends. In fact, Arkansas-er Johnny Cash performed the song at his April 1969 concert at Cummins Prison, bringing the train full circle back to the place it was first recorded by the Library of Congress 35 years before. Jesus died to save our sins. Glory to God, I'm going to see him again. Rock on a line, mighty good road. Rock on a line, road to ride. Oh, the rock on a line, she's a mighty good road. Want to ride it, gotta ride it like you're flying. And get your ticket at the station on the rock on a line. The actual Rock Island Railroad, founded in Rock Island, Illinois in the 1850s, ceased operations in 1980 following a complicated and acrimonious railroad merger after more than 130 years of hauling people and freight through the American Midwest. But the song Rock Island Line, however, is doing quite well since it was first recorded in southeast Arkansas in 1934. Here in its entirety is Rock Island Line by Arkansas' Johnny Cash. This here's a story about the Rock Island Line. Well, the Rock Island Line, she runs down into New Orleans. There's a big toll gate down there, and you know if you got certain things on board when you go through the toll gate, well, you don't have to pay the man no toll. Well, a train driver, he pulled up to the toll gate, and the man hollered and asked him what all he had on board, and he said, I got livestock, I got livestock, I got cows, I got pigs, I got sheep, I got mules, I got all livestock. Well, they said, you all right, boy. You don't have to pay no toll. You can just go right on through. So he went on through the toll gate. And as he went through, he started picking up a little bit of speed, picking up a little bit of steam. got on through, he turned, looked back to man, he said, Well, I fooled you, I fooled you, I got pig iron, I got pig iron, I got all pig iron. Down the Rock Island line, she's a mighty good road, Rock Island line, it's a road to ride, Rock Island line, it's a mighty good road, well, if you ride, you got to ride it like you find it, get your ticket, that's the station for the Rock Island line. Cloudy in the west and it looked like rain Round the curve come a passenger train Northbound train on the southbound track He's all right, I'll but he won't be back Well, the Rock Island Line, she's a mighty good road Rock Island Line, it's a road to ride Rock Island Line, it's just a mighty good road Well, if, if you ride, you got to ride it like you find it Get your ticket, that's the station for the Rock Island Line Well, I may be right and I may be wrong But you're gonna miss me when I'm gone well, the engineer said before he died There would be more drinks that he'd like to try Conductor said, what could they be? A hot cup of coffee and a cold glass of tea Well, the Rock Island Line, she's a mighty good road Rock Island Line, it's a road to ride Rock Island Line, it's a mighty good road Well, if, if you ride, you got to ride it like you find it Get your ticket, that's the station for the Rock Island Line Rock Island Line by Arkansas' Johnny Cash It's another song of Arkansas From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook 
with Arkansongs. Arkansongs is underwritten by Arkansas Heritage. Relive your favorite Barton Coliseum concert memories at the Old State House Museum in downtown Little Rock, where they still play it loud. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Jack Travis, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Matthew produced the program in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio, too. Kyle, a lot of lights turned on yeah, over the weekend. You went to the, the Fayetteville one, Went right? to the one in Fayetteville. Uh, it was my son's very first time seeing a lighting experience. And uh, you made a special request, <laughs> and my wife had also planned on this request uh, happening anyway. Yeah. But your special request was take a video of James's reaction to the lights being turned on. Yes. And so I did that, and uh, the lights turned on, and his eyes got really big, <laughs> and then he started crying. <laughs> and and Emily and I believe that the crying was not because of the lights, but because. Uh, it was pretty quiet. It was three, uh, two, one. Right. The lights turned on and everyone went, yay! Sensory overload. Loud. There was a lot going on. Yeah. I think I'm going to chalk it up to the loud noise and not that this is the origin story of the Grinch. <laughs> no, no. I think, because I've watched the video and when his eyes first, I mean, he's yeah. like amazed. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's a lot to take in if you're not expecting it. You know, yeah. most of us that are at these lightings, we know what's going to happen. Yes. He did not. <laughs> no. So no. so it's a lot to take in. Yes. Absolutely. Are you going to take him back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll plan on going back uh, this weekend, I think. We'll have some family up uh, visiting and uh, take advantage of that Car Free Friday and, yeah. uh, and get in the stroller. We'll put him in the stroller yeah. and uh, and go through. And I think he'll, he'll take it in a lot better that way. And they're up. Through like January one, mm-hmm. and Bentonville turned their lights on mm-hmm. this weekend, um, and there are Christmas parades galore beginning Saturday. I think mm-hmm. I can't remember where they all are, but if you want a Christmas parade, you can find. You one. don't have to look hard. That's right. Uh, we have another show for you tomorrow, That's noon right. and seven, and every weeknight at seven on Little Rock Public Radio KUAR from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for being with us. Happy Holidays from the KUAF and Friends Holiday Giveaway. Your chance to win a gift from one of many generous KUAF underwriters, including Botanical Garden of the Ozarks, Trendsetter Barbershop and Salon, Biotech Pharmacal, and more. Winners announced December 8th during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Details and registration at KUAF.com. Washington Regional's Her Health Clinic is committed to empowering all women by giving them the care and resources they need to take control of their own health. Gynecology services, prenatal care, childbirth, infertility treatments, and more available at Her Health Clinic, located in Washington Regional's Women and Infant Center in Fayetteville. WRegional.com slash HerHealth to learn more. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville invites guests to make family memories this fall. Located in downtown Bentonville, Crystal Bridges features a full calendar of family events and experiences, from art exhibitions to 120 acres of Ozark Forest with five miles of trails. Admission is free to the public. More at crystalbridges.org.